do want to invite you to Blessing Sunday and encourage you that the coloring station doesn't just need to be for kids. Uh, whoever wants, go over and, yeah, absolutely, worship through your pictures. We can do that. Uh, my friends, I also want to invite you to Christmas Eve. Uh, that's coming up this week, I heard. And we have services here at 3 and 4.30, and we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. There'll be a kid's moment during that time, candlelight at 4.30, and so come and be a part of those Christmas Eve services on Friday as well. Jesus declared that his father's house was to be a house of prayer. Passages like 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 identify us as that house. We are that house that is to be a house of prayer. And so before we get into the message today, I'd like to lead us in a short time of prayer together. And so if you just bow your heads where you are, I will give you some things that you can be praying about. And let's spend a few moments praying to God together this morning. Jesus commanded his followers, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would you spend a moment praising and thanking God for who he is and what he has done, lifting him up. Jesus continues the prayer, your kingdom come. May the rule and reign of God be established in people's lives and in our world. Would you pray right now for friends, neighbors, coworkers, who have not had the rule and reign of Jesus established in their life? Would you pray that Jesus' kingdom would come into their life? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray for God's will to be done, his revealed will to be done in specific areas of your life? Would you pray for God's revealed will to be done this morning? We know it is his desire, according to Hebrews 10, that we would encourage each other this morning. We know that it is his will that the word be preached in season and out of season. We know it's his will that we not simply be hearers of the word, but doers also. Would you pray for God's will to be done right here, right now, this morning? Give us this day our daily bread. Would you pray for needs that you have and those around you have? 
physical, spiritual, emotional, relational needs, would you be praying for those things right now and depending upon our Father? And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Would you confess your sins before God and search your heart for any unforgiveness in you or bring it before him? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray for victory in your life when it comes to those sins that most easily entangle you? Would you pray for God to keep you from temptation and give you the power to overcome it when it comes into your life in those areas where sin pops up the most? Father, what a blessing it is to be able to call you Father, our Father, Abba, Dad. We are so thankful for the opportunity that you give us to draw before the throne of grace and to do so with boldness. Jesus, we're grateful for what you have done in order to make that possible. We recognize that we don't simply come and pray and worship the, the Father, but we worship the Father who is in heaven, who, who made the heavens and the earth, sustains the heavens and the earth, and has the ability to accomplish all things. And for that, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You never want to start a sermon this way, but I need to address some things that Kenny said last week that I recognize have troubled a number of people in the room. And I want to assure you that a number of us have gathered around Kenny. We've intervened in his life, and he has reached a place where he has fully and completely repented of statements he made last week about becoming more and more a cat person. All right? And he has fully acknowledged that dogs are the pets of righteousness. We're thankful for that turn that has taken place in his life. We, yeah, absolutely. May that work continue, multiply. Turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. We already read it, but that's going to be where we are today as we look at Jesus, our Savior. This time of year, there are reminders all around us of cute and adorable baby Jesus. I've been in a couple of different stores as I've been Christmas shopping over the last couple of weeks, and I've seen manger scenes set up in these particular stores. 
I was flipping through the channels a few days ago, and I caught a little part of a Christmas special in which a country music star was singing a Christmas carol to a live nativity with live animals and actors who were playing the the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and Joseph. And there Mary was holding the cutest and most adorable baby that everyone was singing to. Reminders of cute and adorable baby Jesus are all around us this time of year. And I'm wondering, is that helpful to us? Are all of these pictures of cute and adorable baby Jesus helpful to us? What do you think? I think they are. I think those pictures of Jesus as a baby are helpful to us because they're a reminder that God himself came and became a person, even a baby, so that we might have life with him. And every time we see adorable and cute baby Jesus, it is a reminder of Emmanuel that God came to dwell with us as a human being so that we might have relationship with him. But of course, for us to truly know Jesus and grow in relationship with Jesus, we need to move beyond the pictures of Jesus as a cute and adorable baby and recognize that Jesus is far more than that. Recognize that Jesus is awesome. He's overwhelming, that he's great beyond all measure. measure. We need to recognize the majesty of Jesus. Uh, The Apostle John got a glimpse of the majesty of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation 1, John is called up to heaven, and he comes face to face with his Savior. And as he is face to face with his Savior, he begins to describe what Jesus is like in metaphors about his physical appearance. And so he says his hair is whiter than the whitest wool in order to represent the fact that Jesus' wisdom is infinite. He says his eyes are like flaming fires because they can see everything. They pierce any facade that is put up and he sees everything perfectly. His feet are like burnished bronze because he can tread out and step upon any enemy that would come against him and have victory. One after another description is made about Jesus' character in these metaphors. And then when he's done with that description, John tells us what his reaction was when he came face to face with the majestic and risen Jesus in the heavens. Verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Who is it that comes face to face with Jesus here? It's the Apostle John. And what was the Apostle John's relationship like with Jesus? They'd spent the better part of three years together. Some people believe that the Apostle John may have been Jesus' closest human companion while he was on the earth. That he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so perhaps the closest friend that Jesus had upon the earth sees Jesus in his majesty and his glory in the heavens. And what is his reaction? He falls down on his face as though dead and he cannot get up. Sometimes we wonder and discuss what our reaction will be like when we see Jesus for the first time. And I think Revelation 1 gives us a pretty good idea. We will fall on our faces before the majesty and glory of the King of Kings. His awesomeness, His overwhelming majesty, we will fall and we will not be able to get up. 
until he comes over and touches us. It says, fear not, and brings us to our feet. The majesty of Jesus. That's what we're talking about in our sermon series. And last week, G, uh, Ke- Jesus, Kenny, they're very different. Wait, I shouldn't have said very different, should I? Don't tell him I said that. Kenny talked about what? God with us. That he is the majesty of God here in a human person. And we are going to talk about Jesus as King of Kings on Christmas Eve, and we're going to see him as the perfect image of God for everyone to look at. We're going to see him as the victor over sin and death. But today, we're looking at the majesty of Jesus when it comes to his salvation. Jesus' majestic salvation in our lives. You guys, there is nothing I needed more. Right? I desperately needed a Savior. Anyone else? When, when I was younger, I would often use my words in order to tear other people down. Use my words to hurt other people. Uh, some sort of insecurity within me about where I stood on life's ladder brought me to a place where I tore other people down so I could feel better about my place or so at least they would feel worse about their place so I could feel better about my place. I don't know what was going on. But I often use my words in order to hurt other people and tear other people down. I'm not talking about the kind of good-natured joking that goes on between Kenny and myself about Vikings packers or cats and dogs. I'm talking about zeroing in on people's greatest areas of insecurity and trying to hurt them in those places so that they'll recognize that I'm above them on life's ladder. I was uh, a jerk. And as I look back over the course of my life, the way that I used my words in order to hurt people is one of dozens of sins that I can see in my life. Uh, As I look back, I can see times when I lied regularly, times when I stole, times when I cheated, times when I lusted, times when I coveted other people's stuff. I see so many times filled with pride and judgment and over all of it this giant umbrella of selfishness that dominated my life. I was in desperate need of a Savior. And I'm confident that the Scripture teaches and my own experience shows me I was not the only one. The Bible says that the greatest problem that every person has is that we were made for this glorious purpose of perfectly reflecting the character of Christ to others. We were made to be in his image and his likeness so that when my kids needed to get a glimpse of what God was like, they could just look at me. So that when my neighbors needed to get a glimpse of what God was like, they could just look at me. God was God is love, and I was to be perfect in my representation of love towards others. But we've chosen selfishness so much of the time. God is truth, and so we were to be honest at all times. But we've chosen dishonesty so much of the time. God called us to be a people who were filled with peace and rejoicing because of our faith in Him. But instead, so often in faithlessness, we're filled with worry and anxiety. We need a Savior. Because the Bible tells us that the right judgment for those sins is death. Separation from God and all that is good. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, While you were dead in your sins and trespasses. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. No, that's Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says what? Right? The wages of sin is death. That's right. So we have all sinned, Romans 3.23, and the appropriate wages or penalty for that is death. By that, the Bible means separation from God and all that is good. And there's nothing worse than that. When my kids were little, I would say God is like a great big fire on a night that is so very cold and dark. And we were meant to have life when we are gathered around the fire. But when we're away from that fire, there is no life. Not only were we meant to gather around the fire, but the fire has blessings and benefits, doesn't doesn't it for us? On a cold and dark night, it provides light. It provides heat. But my sins have created this giant wall between myself and that fire. Over on that side of the fire, it's total holiness. And on my side, there's unholiness. And I can't be near that fire or the benefits and blessings that come from being near the fire. That's what God says the right penalty is for our sin. Separation from God and all that is good because everything good flows from him. What did we need more than anything? What did my jerk mouth need more than anything? It needed salvation. Right? Well, what did we need? We need a Savior who could tear down that wall because we can't tear down that wall that's been built between us and God. Only He could do that. We needed a Savior. And the good news of Christmas is what? God sent a Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We talk a lot here at Friendship about salvation in three tenses. That if Jesus Christ has saved you, he is saving you in three tenses, past, present, and future. He has saved you, he is saving you, and he will save you. And it's important we recognize the work of Jesus' salvation that has happened, is happening, and will happen in our life. In the past, the Bible teaches us Jesus saved us, past tense, from the penalty of our sins. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, how much condemnation now exists for you? None. Why? Because Jesus has taken care of it. That is done. It is finished. Jesus' work on the cross has taken your sins and the punishment for your sins, and he has replaced those on you with his righteousness. Before Jesus, I was guilty in the courtroom of God. I was guilty. I, I use my words to tear people down. That's hate. Right? I, I was guilty of, of uh, lying, of cheating, of stealing, of coveting, of lust, and on and on I could go. Satan, the accuser, did not need to make things up about me. I was giving plenty of material on my own so that a guilty verdict could be rendered. But because of the work of Jesus, taking the penalty for my sins, the credit for my sins upon himself and the penalty for my sins, and giving me his righteousness, I am now free of condemnation. You've been declared just. In God's courtroom. That has been done. 
But God loves us too much to simply save us from the penalty of our sin in the past. He is right now saving you from the practice of sin through the work of his Holy Spirit in your life. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit took his tools in my life and went to work. Tools of the word, tools of prayer, tools of my fellow believers in the body. And went to work and has been changing, growing, and transforming me. My life used to be filled with words that tore other people down and hurt other people. And more and more what God has worked into my life are words filled with praise for God, words filled with encouragement and building up of other people. Do I still have a ways to go? Oh my goodness, you can't even see how far I have to go in this area. If my wife were here right now, she would, she would be affirming, yep, Matt's got a ways to go in this area. Absolutely he does. But like so many of you in an area of sin, I'm able to look and go, I've got so far to go, but look at how far he has brought me. Look at what he has done over the last five years over the last 10 years, over the last 15 years, and the change and transformation that has taken place, that's only through him and through his work. I I want you to watch a story of one of our members here, Brian, and and look at the work and transformation and growth that God has been producing in his life. Psalm 139. I praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that was the first time I remember I really valued uniqueness, that, you know, it's okay to have quirks. You know, it's okay to have, you know, you know skills that not have the same skills as everybody else. Uh, my name is Brian E. Kirian, and I've been attending Friendship Church for over nine years. So uh, Asperger's is on the autism spectrum. It's really hard to simplify what it is exactly, but uh, to give you the basics, people who have this condition have very high cognitive skills, a lot of great memory in very specific areas, not all of the same areas. I'd say the biggest um, difficulty with it is having so is developing social skills and interactions with other people and having you know conversations with other people, which made it really hard for me growing up. I didn't really know the term Asperger's or autism for that matter. Oddly enough, until I was in high school. I always thought that church, you know, like a lot of people, was just something that you had to go to on Sundays, where, you know, it was a tradition, you know, you go with your family once a week, and, you know, you learn, you study the Bible, and that's it. But I didn't really know, like, what it was, what Christianity was. I had two really good mentors uh, that were part of this uh, high school Bible study that I went to on Sunday evenings. And they really shaped, you know, a lot of my faith. But then another avenue 
was hearing my mom's testimony. And I remember her sharing about how it's not just a matter of, you know, you do good works and then you go to heaven, where it's not just a matter of that. That's where John 3.16 comes in. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, ever since I've uh, been coming to Friendship, I've had a lot of uh, just amazing friendships and relationships. At least once a month, I volunteer on the hospitality team. Just being a part of you know a group of people that are doing something great together. You know, it's not just one person that makes something happen. that what people take away from this, just knowing that they're not alone. You may feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. That there are people out there who are willing to, to talk with you, to listen to you, and to be there for you. And I hope that people see um, just what God's done in me, not just what I've done on my own accord. So thankful for Brian's willingness to share his story with us. Those are just some snippets from his story, actually, and you can see the full story on the church's YouTube channel. But one of the things I want you to note here is the role that people played in order to help him grow. That God uses his word, he uses our times of prayer and spending, spending quality time with him in order to grow us and transform us. But he also intends for us to be a people who are growing together, who are running towards Christ together, encouraging each other. And you saw that there in that story. And we recognize it in our own life that for all of us, Jesus is at work. If he has uh, ultimately forgiven us, that in the past, if we have experienced the complete and total salvation from all of the penalty of our sin, that we are currently, through his Holy Spirit, experiencing the salvation from the practice of sin. And one day, we will experience God's salvation totally and completely from the presence of sin in our life. Is there anyone who is looking forward to that, right? Complete and total salvation from the presence of sin. Salvation from the presence of sin in us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says that there will come a day when we are completely like Jesus Christ in character, and that day will be when we see him face to face. Oh my goodness, am I looking forward to that day. All of the mess that you battle day in and day out, that I battle day in and out, being free from that and being completely like him in character and being totally and completely like with others who are like him in character so that our everyday existence is filled with love and goodness and generosity and care. That will be heaven. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 says that there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Billy Graham says, even when we allow our imaginations to run wild on the joys of heaven, we find that our minds are incapable of conceiving what it will be like. We look forward to that day and Jesus' salvation of us in the future that we'll be glorified and like Jesus. And so we recognize Christmas is a time when we celebrate Jesus is our Savior, past, 
present, and future. He's working his salvation into our life. And I have more good news for you, and that is that the salvation that Jesus Christ brings is for all the people. That's what the verse before says. Chapter uh, 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. This is gospel good news of great joy, the, the great joy that comes with salvation that will be for all the people. Who's the good news of the Savior for? Right? It's just for the rich who can buy it, isn't it? It's just for the smart who can reason it. No, it's just for the uh, cool who can charm it. No, it's for all the people. Young, old, rich, poor, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, Jesus' salvation is for you. And the shepherds are a wonderful reminder for us that Jesus' salvation is for all of the people. Because in this day and age, uh, 2,000 years ago, the shepherds were considered to be low on the social ladder. Were most shepherds rich or poor in this day? Most of them were poor. Not only that, because of the actions of a few shepherds, all shepherds had a tainted reputation because there were shepherds who went out and used other people's resources and land without asking in order to feed their sheep. And that damaged the reputation of all shepherds. As a matter of fact, in the Talmud, the rabbis wrote that no shepherd's testimony was to be considered valid in a court of law. Because shepherds were untrustworthy people. Uh, On top of all of this, because of the way that they had to live their life in order to care for their sheep, shepherds were ceremonially unclean by the Jewish laws. And so they were not able to worship with the rest of the Jewish people. How important was it to be ceremonially clean to the Jewish people? And so the shepherds were down here on the social ladder. And yet, who is it that God chose to bring the message of salvation to, to first announce it to with these angels? It was these shepherds as a way of communicating to us. This message is for all the people. The good news of Jesus' salvation is for all the people. No matter how people look at you, no no matter what you have done, No matter how you feel about yourself today, the good news of the message of Jesus' salvation is for you. It's for you. Salvation for all the people. We recognize that while the good news of Jesus' salvation is for all the people, this passage also teaches us that not everyone will be saved. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is, what? pleased. The Bible says that because of our sins, we were enemies with God. But that through Jesus, peace with God is possible. Now, who is it that can experience this peace with God and move from being an enemy of God because of sin into the very family of God? It is those with whom God is pleased. Well, who is it that pleases God? How can we be pleasing to God? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. What is it that's required to please God? Faith is required to please God. In Acts chapter 16, 
the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to experience this salvation that is possible through Jesus Christ? And what do they tell him? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. How can we be saved according to our theme verse from our last series from the book of Romans? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Everyone who believes, everyone who has faith, that, those are the people who are pleasing to God and can experience the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that is the same story today. Those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, as the treasure of their life, are saved and enter into the family of God. Is that you? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? Do you have that salvation? If the answer is no, but you're like, I sure would like to know more about that. I sure would like to know more about what it means to place my faith in Jesus. I'd love for you to take that Connect card that you got and write your interest on there. There's nothing we'd love to do more than to follow up with you about what Jesus says salvation is all about and what faith looks like. If that is you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus and he has saved you, past, present, and future in your life, then I would encourage you to live life like the shepherds. What did the shepherds do once they got this message? They went seeking for Jesus. Then they worshipped Jesus. Then they told everybody they saw about Jesus. If that's you, if you are a follower of Jesus and have experienced his salvation, live the life of the shepherd. Seek Jesus. Worship Jesus. And tell everybody you can find about Jesus and about his salvation. Doesn't that sound like a great plan for this week? What are you going to do? We're going to seek Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to tell everybody we can find about Jesus. That that is the way of the shepherd. The, The way of those who experience this amazing faith in Jesus. Every time we come before the Lord's table together, we celebrate him as our Savior. We celebrate what he has done in order to bring us from enemy of God to friend of God. From those who were opposed to God in our sins to those who are part of the very family of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I want to encourage you as as we take a little bit of time in order to prepare our hearts to take those elements today, to focus in on Jesus the Savior, the majesty of what he has done, so that we can have new life in him. Focus in on the sins and the wrongdoing in your life, and then focus on Jesus' grace that is greater than all of those sins and the amazing forgiveness that you have experienced. Give you a a moment as the band plays a little bit in the background in order to focus your hearts and minds And then when you're ready, get up and go to the tables, the four tables in the room, and you can take the elements back to your seat and I'll come back out and lead us in the taking of those elements in a moment. Let's continue to worship God as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together and as we sing his praises.